2: Good evening, everybody. <laughs> uh, there was a test. <laughs> I am Ron Kohl the Toothless Wonder, and with me all the way from East Bridgewater is the blonde blonde shovel herself, and
3: Carrigan. Well, good evening, everybody. How, I hope you're all doing better than my co-host. I'm really sorry, Ron. It's terrible. Uh, it, is, it is what it is. It is what it is. I know, but it sucks. But, uh, I I had a cookout
2: today, and my brother and uh, his wife, and uh, my son and his girl, uh, fiance came over, and I had a lot of fun with it, you know.
3: That uh, well, that's good. I'm glad. Talking, a
2: lot you know. of, talking funny, so that was good, you know. Yeah,
3: yeah. For, well, for those who don't know, Ron has lost a couple teeth and he, three, to be precise. He, he, he he's <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna lisp his way through because he's a trooper. He's a trooper, but uh, I am sorry to hear that. That that's just.
2: But just to let my guests know I still have my vampire teeth. All right, <laughs> joining us now, all the way from where it's probably hotter than it is here, Mr. Vlad.
4: Greetings. Greetings. So Hello. so did you lose your did you lose your teeth trying to steal someone's lobster or something at this uh <laughs> yeah, right.
2: No, a ghost did it to me, which paranormal, I'm sure.
4: Oh, okay. <laughs> you can file a claim with James Randi then and, and try and get in on some of that Cassidy that he awards people. <laughs> there
2: you go. Uh, yeah, I, I know, like, right. I like that idea.
3: <laughs> really? Do they still is he still doing that?
2: I heard he withdrew that. I heard he withdrew that. Just,
4: he goes you, back and forth. I think it depends on what day of the week it is, whether or not he's, <laughs> you know, and, and how much he thinks you have a chance of actually winning it, whether or not he's doing it.
2: <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, Vlad has been on the show before, and and we've actually had a, I has actually had an opportunity to work with him. I think you did too, in, Right?
3: I don't think I've, I've. I don't, have I met, Fla- did he do a dining, did you do a dining with the dead?
4: Yeah, we mm, did we I did,
3: dining with the dead, but we did we a also- dining with
4: the dead. We did a dining with yeah. the dead. We talked early early on with you guys back in, uh, when you showed up at the Life and Death in Salem, back in the day.
2: Oh, God, that, that wasn't him though. That was my yeah. That was my predecessor. No, but it was- but yeah,
4: that's okay. okay.
3: I won't and take then, it personally,
4: um, sorry. <laughs> and then I also did something over at, like, what was it, the... With Rich good over at uh, was D-Z? it the VZ Which- ground, grounds there?
3: Okay, yes, yes. I, have, I am yes. telling
2: you that that thing could be absolutely huge. Uh, mm-hmm. What it was it was a it was a mix of magic and the paranormal, and you know we had no rehearsal or nothing, and and we just did it, and and all in all it came out pretty damn good, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the proper uh, marketing, that thing could be freaking awesome. I'm telling you, <laughs> it really could. Well,
4: I think I mean, I mean, at, at at its heart, you know, I mean, there there are some rare cases of magicians that don't really like magic. Um, what <laughs> most, yeah, there, I mean, there are some magicians that are like are really, 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 to their core, afraid of of actual magic existing in the world.
3: Oh my God. So, Which is
4: weird, and I I didn't know about it until somebody somebody pointed it out, and it was like, why are they doing magic? And they're like, well, they like the card tricks and stuff, but real magic means that you're responsible for your actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they don't like that if they summon something into reality, they don't like the idea that it could mean that there's something else in the universe other than themselves. Hmm. But there are a lot of, a lot of other magicians, okay. like Houdini, because like a lot of people think, oh, well, Houdini was against psychics and things like that, and Houdini was not really against psychics, he was against con men right. and, and fraudulent mediums. He really, really, really hoped that something did exist, because it would have given him no more pleasure in the world than to be able to communicate with his, his deceased mother.
3: Oh, the mother,
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that. Was, if he could have traded in anything in the world, I think just to get another talk with his mother, he would have done it. But wow. you know, nobody, yeah. everybody promised it, but nobody could come through with anything. So that's why he sort of went on on the war path because you know he saw all these people conning people and taking their life savings, and he's like, no, it's not going to, not on my watch, type thing. So right, right.
2: absolutely. Right, right. Wow. And, and, and Vlad, so we get this out of the way, in case I forget, if someone's uh, interested in finding more about more information about Vlad, uh, mm-hmm. where could they go?
4: God, they can either find me. The, the easiest place that I keep, I probably update my Facebook page more than I update my actual like website. <laughs> but uh, if they look for me on Facebook on the Gothic Magic of Vlad, they will find me there or GothicMagic.com. But, All right. I or, or they that can come our, down to our wonderful event in January, where we're doing the East Coast Spirit Sessions in Myrtle Beach for so the third year, right? <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah, oh, nice. And it's grown. We keep bringing in people from like all different areas of the world, and we've had, I think, this year we're going to have some um, a couple more people from the UK and uh, a couple okay. other like one was coming from Australia, and I'm like, okay, great, you know, this this comes at. A convention because we're not doing standard magic we're doing storytelling and sort of spook show seance themed magic you know and a lot of other magicians were like oh oh you're only going to get about five people attending that oh. and <laughs> and this is our third year and we've had somewhere like around a hundred people come from around the world each time so
3: oh that's great <laughs> yeah. wow it, you know, I, I actually,
2: I, I heard one of the things that intrigued me the most, and this is the silliest thing, of course, because silly things intrigue me, is that uh, I believe uh, that's why I like Anne, by the way. Uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it, I heard all about these uh, table uh, centerpieces, and
4: mm-hmm. and they absolutely sounded fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, one of the one of the attendees, uh, you can Catherine give the name went out. The... Catherine Caulfield, her yep. her her and her husband, they go by when they're performing. It's Lord and Lady Blacksword. Yep, but oh, um, from my neck and woods. Yeah, and she went out of her way and made these sort of like a, a, a skeletal recreation of them, little skeletons sitting around, sort of almost a dollhouse seance table.
5: Oh, that's with a little cool.
4: crystal ball and everything. And she actually went to the trouble of there was a little seance book that was on the table with the skeletons, like a little tiny micro mini book. And uh-huh. if you opened up the book, it actually had pictures of all of the performers from the previous year in this little, like, half an inch tall book.
3: Oh, my can you, God. Can that's you imagine that? Crazy. Yeah, that's That's like awesome. To-
4: I was like, "That is dedication." My hat is off to you. Yeah,
2: <laughs> definitely, definitely, people people love them so much that they wanted to buy it. Wasn't
4: it right? Hmm. We actually had some people that that as soon as before they even saw all the good stuff that it did, like with the pictures in the book, and and finding out that there was a bigger book that the whole thing sits on, mm-hmm. and that the whole table and everything breaks down and carries in the bigger book. People were like, "Oh, oh. can I? Have, you know, okay, well, how much are they going to be?" And we ended up like a couple of them that weren't claimed right away. We actually sort of like had a raffle that people were bidding on them. So, oh they, yeah, they, went. they went, I, would, people... I, I
3: would bid on that. <laughs>
2: yeah, I know you would love that in. That's, that's
3: I would I love that. Yeah. That, you know, awesome. that. that is awesome.
4: Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my core of brethren because I got into magic from doing special effects at a haunted house. Mm -hmm. So I knew from early on, being I had an interest in all these horror movies and gothic literature and all the other good things like that, that we had to tell the tale. You know, it had to be this sort of melancholy, eerie, atmospheric feeling to it. And I didn't want to just do card tricks where it's, oh, here, shuffle the deck, hand the deck back to me now. Uh, as I spread through, put your finger on the top of one card, and your card is here. And we put it back in the deck, and we shuffle it, and look—your card is back on top. Mm-hmm. And people go, so, "Mm-hmm." Yeah, <laughs> some, okay. Some magicians don't even like the word "trick."
2: They don't. They don't. They stand away from that.
4: No, but some of them—that's all they're doing. You know, it's like yeah, I understand they're, they're, that too. But <laughs> it, it's uh so I mean it's presented you, as a you, puzzle, it's like there's no nothing left for the people. You know, my attitude was. We have finite time on this earth, and if you choose to spend time with me, I would like to give something back to you that honors the point that you spent those moments with me.
3: Nice.
4: Yeah, it's like so... And some people are just like, well, no, I, I just need to show off my card skills. And people like, really don't care about your card skills. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is I mean, you do gothic magic, and, and mm-hmm. this is part of the, a different genre of magic, I would say. Uh, why do you think people go to, you know, uh, you know, Bizarre Magic and, and, and the, your gothic magic shows? Why do you think they go there? What, what do you... What is their their thoughts when they're going? What, what do they expect, and and why do you think they're going?
4: I mean, the simple answer would be: uh, early, early on, I had a, a world famous magician friend of mine. His name is Jeff McBride. He's been on World's Greatest Magic and a bunch of other different shows. And he he threw me a quote just offhanded when he saw my some of my routines, and he goes, "It's like seeing Stephen King live." He's like, <laughs> Like you're bringing, you're bringing the thing, and I'm like, that was the thing that you know. I wanted, I wanted a portable haunted house. I wanted people to go in there and sort of worry about whether something was still under the bed while they were watching my show.
2: <laughs> uh, so you think it's still a fear factor, like they would go to see a? a, I, don't think a it's, I don't know a, if it's
4: fear. It's the, it's, the, it's the walking on the blade of a knife. It's sort of that. It's like we we know it's spooky, and we really can't tell whether or not it's real or not. Mm-hmm. But we're going to take the chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's the roller coaster ride. It's like they want they want to go in there and they want they want the the thrill.
5: Of course. And it's like
4: that's that's what you should give them. You know, give them give them the right. moment. You know, it's like everybody wants that part in the horror movie where you know. The cat jumps out of a closet and everybody screams in the theater and they go, oh, you know, and then all of a sudden, like when everybody has that like moment where all they're all laughing because it's only the cat, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the creature's behind them.
3: Right, right. Mm-hmm. And know, that's you have why,
4: that double, yeah.
3: thats uh, that's why people go to haunted houses and they mm-hmm. they're afraid of it but they want it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I've I've worked at, at a haunted house for a few right. years doing the the makeup and I mean. It's just it's uh, it's such an atmosphere, um, and everybody is like everybody who is in the haunted house is a, it's a fa- it's really a family. It is. And you are united by your love of scaring the crap out of people, and mm-hmm. it's a mission.
4: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, uh, as an offshoot <laughs> of that, I, as the as an offshoot of that, I worked for a few years for like five years doing the New York Renaissance Fair with a gentleman that was, was a haunter. He had a haunt in New Jersey, mm-hmm. but during the Renaissance Fair, he had a portable torture chamber.
5: Oh, that's awesome. And we,
4: would, and we would bring the people through and it was a guided tour and we would actually explain to them <laughs> what would happen if you were accused by the Inquisition and all these other, you know, and show them all the torture devices and explain how they were done. And the guy that ran it would actually—he had a bag full of those like golden Sacagawea dollars.
5: Uh-huh. Oh yeah, yep.
4: And if you—and if you as a tour guide made somebody pass out or get squeamish and run outside, you got a tip from him. He would walk over and hand you a gold coin. It's like you're doing your job. Here you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the common the the. The best compliment in the hunt was, "I got (laughs) a pisser."
4: And the funniest thing is when you're and when you're watching it from like behind the behind the walls, you know, because everybody's like, all of a sudden you'll get this big tough guy that's you know outside is telling everybody how big and bad he is and how nobody better mess with him, and then all of a sudden he walks around a dark corner and he's behind his girlfriend. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. And you're like, okay, so she's protecting you now?
3: Oh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's just, no. you have to be there. You know, if you no, can make a- somebody pee your pants, you've achieved your goal. hmm <laughs> You know,
2: one thing I've always been interested in is uh, magic and mm-hmm. how it, I, I almost believe that if you're going to be a paranormal investigator, you should have some uh, magic Training or, or mentalist training to uh, really understand uh, what's around you and what's going on. Because you know, mm-hmm. to give you a, an idea of this is that I was watching *Midsummer's Murders*, one of my favorite shows, and mm-hmm. uh, and this one show. they had they had magicians in it. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, uh, and there was a murder, but the, the murderer was a magician. And what he did is he used the power of suggestion and sleight of hand. To, you know, fool everyone. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. it's Barnaby. And so, uh, if you have the knowledge of how things can work, it's it's a little bit uh, you know it's a little bit another tool in your in your bag that that'll help you clarify situations at times.
4: Well, and you're, and you're eliminating anything, you know, you're eliminating all these false positives. If it's not A, like, B, C, or D, what are we left with, you know? <laughs> right. mm-hmm. It's the Sherlock Holmes thing. Well, then it's got to be this.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, I love all those shows, like, you know, The Midsummer One, I like, uh, I was watching Penny Dreadful up to the point where it ended.
2: Yeah, you told uh, me about that, and, and I'm not, I'm not a, uh, privy to that show, you, you, what, basically what it's about.
4: It's on. It's on Netflix. The first two. It, it had three seasons altogether. But it's uh, uh-huh. the first two seasons are on Netflix. It's basically if you took all of your. It's set in Victorian London, oh, of cool. course, where all good Gothic stories take place. Okay, <laughs> uh,
2: all good stories.
4: <laughs> and you have a woman that like the, the the premise starts out that there's a woman and she's living in the house with Timothy Timothy Dalton, or. or well, those of us that remember the one of the one of the James Bonds. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but he was the father he was the father of one of her best friends and something happened to her and they're now trying to locate this girl. Well come to find out she sort of cheated on her best friends with her cheater cheated on her best friends like with, with her fiance. Oh,
5: so
4: gosh. there's this underlying guilt, but come to find out they're looking for the girl because she's been taken away by what they think are vampires. Oh, wow. so we So we bring in the vampires, and then all of a sudden, the next person she comes across is a gentleman from America that's, like, from the West. Mm-hmm. But he was cursed with, like, lycanthropy mm-hmm. by, by an old Indian shaman. Oh my. And, and his name is Lawrence Talbot which goes back to the universal wolfman days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we bring in the werewolf, and then <laughs> all of a sudden there's a Timothy Dalton's butler is from some tribe of something that he was a medicine man in Africa. Oh, wow. <laughs> they threw it in. And then the next person you come across is Victor Frankenstein.
2: Oh, go away.
4: And then they blend in Dorian Gray, and there's all of a sudden this coven of witches. So anything you can think of that has to do with Gothic literature, they interweave in and out, like how these characters might have met. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's Frankenstein, and then there's the Frankenstein monster, and the Frankenstein monster wants... Him to create a mate, and it's sort of one of the girls that was attacked by the werewolf. And then once they oh, find okay. out, right, gonna so it's it's this all so this intertwined. And it's uh, you know, I'm like, these people had to have sat down with a giant map yeah. and <laughs> figured out how everything intertwined. I'm like, this, this is right. <laughs>
5: oh.
4: fantastic storytelling to be able to like because none of those characters normally would have, you know, unless you watch the Universal days where. You know, Frankenstein and the Dracula and the Wolfman all hung out and had coffee, but you know, <laughs> it, yeah. back in the day, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's it's wonderful because it's all of this gothic storytelling. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, cool. Which is what, you and I think know. you'd get a kick out of it. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Dad, now,
3: what made ahead. you? What made you go into the gothic? Uh, you know, as part of your your magic act, what mm-hmm. made you lean into that gothic area, into oh, the vampire? Know,
2: Vlad is
4: also a vampire too, right? You know that, right?
3: Real, a real vampire?
4: Yes. Well, I mean, I don't hey. burn, I don't burn up in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I no, uh, not yet anyway. No. I'm not going to give anybody that information. But <laughs> <laughs> Especially being I live in North Carolina now. <laughs> so, but uh yeah, I was part of the actual real vampire community. So, it was Oh. I'm what's I'm what's considered an elder of the vampire community. That's right. So it's okay. Mean, meaning that, like, when people came, when people used to come into the community, if they had questions, I was one of those old people that sort of would tell them who they should or shouldn't hang out with because they were <laughs> they were untrustworthy and sort of like gave them the history of all the things to make mm-hmm. sure that they were safe and secure and you know knew the knew the rules and I sort of. You know, not that I followed in that tradition of sort of anything to do with blood, but I would give them information that they should know if they were going to try and walk down that path. Okay. Because a lot of these people sort of, like, come into it, and they're like, well, I don't know anything about, and it's like, well, then don't.
2: I just want to be a vampire, that's all. Yeah,
4: yeah, don't don't play, you're playing Russian roulette, you know, like, do you have medical training? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know, like, just because someone says that they don't have any communicable diseases, do you actually know that they don't? Like, have they shown you their medical records? You know, and some people are like, well, no, but I trust them. And it's like, mm, you're, you're, you're. Mm-hmm. You're spinning the cylinder here. It's like you just put one more bullet in the chamber, you know.
3: So explain to me, because I was not aware that there was a vampire community. I mean, oh, I know.
2: seriously. That's been on the show so many times. and, and
3: I know, but I this? never knew that it was actually a thing.
5: Oh, mm-hmm. wow. I
3: thought it was just his character. So well, is being a I mean, vampire me- like being a witch? It's It's your belief?
4: It's a little bit of everything. I mean, for okay. me, it was part of, like, being able to, like, sort of mentor people and bring them information about the community and things like that, and to me, my my portion of it is more focusing on manipulating energy versus... Because to me, when people talk about sort of, like, blood, to me, sometimes it can be a metaphor, because mm-hmm. when you're saying blood is the life, well, there's energy in blood and... If you can manipulate energy, you can exchange energy with someone back and forth versus having to go the route of like something that's sort of base and exchanging blood.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's called a. Is it a sanguine
4: vampire? I, well, sanguine, sanguine is someone that ex, it's a psi. They call them, some people call them psi vampires. Some people okay. call them pranic, proni, is another term, or psi. It means it has to do with energy versus sanguine, which has to do with blood. And then you have blood fetishists, which it's just sort of like part of their sexual kink.
2: So Um, it's kind of like a lifestyle.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, there are are lifestyles that don't even get into the blood. There are people that just sort of want to dress up and come there and make believe they're a vampire, Mm -hmm. sort of like one step above a normal role player, Mm -hmm. where they want to be in the community, they want to dress up, but they don't want anything to do with any sort of, like, Religious and or metaphysical vampirism.
3: So they're just kind of like posers. Yeah,
4: I don't want to say that because it's sort of, you know, you can say it. I don't want want,
3: want. (laughs) to. Well, that's what it seems like to me. It's like you want to play dress up all the time, but that's it. You don't want to commit to a specific lifestyle. So,
4: so I mean, wanna, and wrapped wanna... around that, it's like you can't say it's, you can't, you can say for some people it's a religion, but other, mm-hmm. I mean, but I've met people that consider themselves vampires that were Christian, people that were Jewish, people that were like Hindu, you know, people that were pagan. Mm-hmm. So they had to find a way to incorporate that into their into their lifestyle so it's for them it wasn't really religious but it was more of a an awakening of a of a inherent part of themselves
3: okay so you so, you uh you're you're focused on on energy
4: that's well because to me when you when you i you know i was i was a magician i mean i'm, I'm i am a magician i'm an entertainer i'm an actor so when you read books like uda hagen and things she talks about there's no greater exhilaration than the accolades of the crowd. Mm-hmm. So to me, if you're feeding off of the energy of the audience and you're giving them energy back, I saw a distinct parallel between all entertainers sort of being sort of energy vampires.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Because That's, they're, they're yeah. feeding off the crowd and everything. It's like, you know, the, right. the, the witches would say, building a cone of power. Yeah. you know, because you're bringing all this energy together. And it's I like the it's applause of the crowd go, and, right? you know, the accolades and everything else. So it's – and right. that's where I – you know, it's like the willing exchange of energy. It's you come here, I give okay. you a good show, you applause, and I give you good magic. So, you know. Right. So,
3: uh, right. So. Okay. All
4: right. But, and so, the part about the gothic thing you were asking about, it's, I got into it because to me it was – It was everything I wanted to say, you know, and some people still don't understand. They're like, Gothic? So you do that, like, Marilyn Nance and stuff? And I'm like, no, (laughs) nothing to do with Gothic, you know, he does his own thing, you know. I'm like, it has more to do with, you know, Lord Byron and, you know, Mm -hmm. Jekyll and Hyde and all the good stuff, Gothic Mm -hmm. literature. I'm like, look at Gothic architecture and stained glass windows and, and walk. You know, in, in the fog shrouded streets of New England, you know, and you can look up with like the street lamps and that's gothic to me. That's the the sensation you get. And some people are like, Oh, I don't know, I don't really get it. And I'm like, Oh it's hard for me to explain to you that. I'm like <laughs>
3: Right, right. You're never going to get it. So let's It's a sensation and
4: it's like, it encapsulated everything that I wanted it to be. Eerie, melancholy, but not you know, it wasn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It wasn't Mm -hmm. It wasn't bloody. It was that ethereal sort of otherworldly magic. Well,
2: we have to go to another world right now. We have to go to break.
4: (laughs) So you got to pay the bills. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah there you go so you're listening to ghost chronicles uh next generation with ann kerrigan and ron Kolick, the toothless wonder right here with our special guest vlad the gothic magic of vlad right here on tojanet pararex uh i don't know where AstroNet, and wherever else we are we'll be right back after the following messages
0: hello hello can you hear me my name is harry price i am speaking to you via the meeting of the ghost box although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he is a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K-2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there.
1: Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world.
3: And welcome back to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron, the Toothless Wonder, and Ian, the Blonde Bombshell, and Vlad, the Gothic Magician.
5: There you, go. there you go. Welcome back. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, so what, I mean, what were we talking about? You
4: were talking about like how I got involved in the Gothic. I mean, it just—it was an era that spoke to me, and I don't know if it's because I was raised in the United States that I'm so fascinated with Victorian London. Because I'm assuming someplace over there, they're all fascinated with the American West. You know, it's like we we, we sort of emulate things we didn't get to like see within our culture. So we want to go over and see the streets of London and they want to go wander through the West. I don't know, but it just sort of fascinated me the whole time period. And so everything that I do, I try and find things that would encapsulate that time period. I have some routines about the Civil War. I have uh, an object that's uh, sort of a, instead of a, Ouija board, it's a spirit communication device that was done up in some concepts by Edison. Um, That's cool.
3: Tell us more about
4: that. A spirit telegraph. There there were a bunch of things that when he was doing these things back and forth with Tesla, Mm -hmm. that he actually felt that because there was electricity in the body and energy couldn't be created or destroyed, where does the energy go? And that the energy should still be around you, so you should be able to electronically communicate with a spirit. You know, and he didn't really believe in the Ouija boards because there was no, there was no power there, but he sort of had this device that was hooked up to, one was hooked up to a bell, and the other one was hooked up to, uh, the one I have is hooked up to a light. Mm-hmm. Just because for me, in a darkened theater, uh, a bell, you know, is nice, and I do have, yeah a crystal spirit, spirit bell, but, you know, this Edison thing, you know, to me, because it ties more in with him if it's a light. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it brings it home, and people can see a light versus, you know, thinking, oh, well, maybe you have a recording of a bell sound someplace, you know, but if you see a light, it's a light. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have no lights that are sort of projected from someplace else that are right in front of you. Right. So, mm-hmm. That's You know, and answer. I try to do things like Jack the Ripper and
2: a bunch of different um you know flat i have to tell you um steve came over and he brought me a spirit lamp from the uk and okay. it's it's a very simple device it's it's basically a lamp a switch and a power switch, which is a battery and you mm-hmm. turn the switch on the light goes on turn the switch off the light goes off and we use that in the, the red light séance and guess what happened the damn thing turned on mm. wow yeah. So maybe there is something to all these crazy devices that these early inventors. Uh...
4: I mean, there could be. I mean, if we if we didn't lose all of the goodies that, like, I mean, because I think probably we only have seen twenty percent of the stuff that Tesla was working on. Mm-hmm. The rest yeah. of the stuff, like, went in these vanished notebooks, and you know. They're either scattered someplace or somebody's hoarding them, you know, and we don't mm-hmm. we don't even know what he was trying to do. I mean he was the first one that was trying to do wireless electricity where, you know, you just have this paths of light that could just sort of be transmitted through the air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'd probably have Star Trek teleporters by right. now if <laughs> it would have continued, you know. <laughs>
2: Speaking about that, you know, you know, uh, Star Trek tele—well, uh, teleporters. Uh, there's always debate, you know, whether those could really work. And and I did some serious thinking about them, and uh, I really believe that we could take an object and and disassemble it and reassemble it uh, atom by atom. Eventually, we could have the technology. But the interesting thing about this is, could they do it to humans? Because if the humans Objects don't have souls, but if mm-hmm. humans have souls that is not a material – other words, it's not a physical thing that can be assembled or disassembled. could they really transport a person? Mm-hmm. You also run into that
4: whole – you also run into that – that we run into that fly theory thing, too. That if something is on you when you're being teleported, will it be mixed into the DNA oh. of you when you're reassembled? In an
3: oh, God, you'll come back <laughs> as a fly. Oh, yeah, uh,
4: there yeah.
3: You go. I hate that would not occur. <laughs> it's in
2: me. So, any, anyway, uh, it's, it's really interesting because. All the great inventors at that time, you know, people like Tesla, people like Edison, and Hammond, John Hammond, of course, from Gloucester, who was the father of remote control. uh, They all delved into the paranormal and and worked on devices to, and experiments to either, you know, to investigate it basically. And I find that intriguing because these were fairly intelligent persons that you know went out on a limb to do this type of stuff.
4: I mean, during that time period, almost everybody. You know, it's like nowadays. You know, there's a there's a delineation between whether you believe or you don't believe. You know, there are, people definitely separate themselves into the. You know, but that back then people were having seances in their drawing rooms. Right. You know, and, and they were doing seances in the White House with like with Lincoln's true, wife. True. Yeah. You know, so and it was just. I mean, anybody that's been to Gettysburg pretty much knows. You know, there's. More there than you can quantify. Right. You know, it's everybody goes, Oh, well, you don't really believe in that. I'm like, you just walk along there after dark sometime on the battlefield and I don't need to explain it to you any more than that. You know, just it's there.
3: You're gonna feel it. It, And I mean all these all these guys and you talk about, you know, the Gothic and you talk about the Victorian, and I mean in the Victorian era, so much was going on and I mean um I mean, the whole evolutionary theory mm-hmm. and all that. And so it was kind of, uh, anything was fair game, I think. So and, and everything why was, not the energy and the spirits? Mm-hmm.
4: And know? everything was coming together at one point in time. You had, like, strange illnesses like consumption and tuberculosis and all these other things going right. on but you also had like the inventors
5: mm-hmm. and you
4: had the industrial revolution right and all of these things coming together at one point in time and it was sort of shattering their their beliefs and and all these things that, that the status quo of the day
5: mm-hmm. you know
4: because it was here it is you know they go from gas lamps to electricity and mm. you know all of a sudden we have a steam car and you know and all of these good things
3: so right so you can't you know, in blame the the inventors who are harnessing this energy mm-hmm. for thinking beyond. Uh, so why couldn't you know they they found that correlation between energy and spirit communication? Mm-hmm. Which is very cool.
4: I mean, because I, I mean Edison. You know, like whether which side of the fence, there's always people like, oh well, Edison stole a lot of his different things, and yeah, you yeah. know, but when you find somebody like Tesla. That that was definitely an out of the box thinker, you know. Tesla was just sort of all of these things, you know. When you see those like Tesla balls and stuff with the you know, the energy coming off them, right. and you just, you just knew that he was on a different plane of existence as far as his thought process.
3: But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. that's amazing.
4: You know, it's interesting times. <laughs>
2: it was, and uh, of course, there is a new series out now. Uh, with, you know, when I saw it, I, I thought of you guys, and uh, and that, of course, is Houdini and Doyle. And mm-hmm. uh, have, have you seen that, uh, Vlad?
4: I did. I did. I was I was thinking of you when I saw the uh, Strogoi episode that had Brom Stoker <laughs> oh, on man, it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 but. Uh, it's an interesting thing because um, you have both sides. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was such a you know uh, a believer, such a spiritualist, and Harry Houdini, he had uh, a, I should say he wanted to believe, but yet he was still very uh, critical, and uh, because he ran into so many. Uh, mm-hmm. Takes during uh, his first venture into spiritualism.
4: Yeah, and it's it's interesting because they do they do portray and then they sort of have the 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 first female police officer that sort of is the you know the middle ground between both uh, of them.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> thought of that as the end. So you know, yeah. it, everybody <laughs> believes that Steve and Steve and I are Houdini and Doyle. The funny part about it is I'm the British guy and he's the English guy in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But anyway. It's a good show. A I
4: mean, I, I, I enjoy it. It's sort of like they give you both sides of the... I'm trying to find... One of my friends had talked about something that's just on... Because he's over on that side of the pond. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, this is on BBC. And I'm like, do you realize your BBC is different than our BBC, don't you? Like, we get stuff months after you've already have got yep. a chance to. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about some show called The Living and the Dead. And that's another Uh-oh. gothic thing that's done by the BBC. And I'm like, well, that sounds good. And I'm like, you have my interest.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, Houdini and Doyle is a joint venture between Fox TV and uh, the British uh, Sky TV, I think it is, or ITC, huh. whatever, one of them. Yeah, it's a joint venture um, between the two. So uh, the season's already over, but I mean, I'm sure it must be on Netflix or one of those other... Mm-hmm. Services which I do not have, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's worth seeing. It's it's kind of a fun show actually, and,
4: yeah, and I it's have always get the,
2: the little twist to it, which is good.
4: So I have all of those wonderful things. Like, you know, people go, well, "Why do you you have like?" all of these premium cable channels, and you have Netflix and stuff, and I'm like, because I'm single. (laughs) I'm (laughs) not spending the money elsewhere, so therefore, (laughs) if I'm going to sit home, I I get to entertain myself, you know, (laughs) so I can watch things that are on TV, you know. Right,
3: I know. Well, I never have time for that, so...
4: And That's the my friends what, go. They go. They're either like married, or the, you know they have children and stuff. They're like, uh, I can't. I don't. I can't get. Heaven forbid, I could get two hours to actually sit down and watch something.
2: And I'm like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you ever done? Or, uh, I, I, I don't know if I done a trick, but uh, have you ever, while well, in a performance, run into something that you didn't explain, or or it just didn't work out the way that you had planned? Sure, sure. So yeah, how do I you mean, deal yeah. with that? I mean, is it is it
4: uh... thinking very quickly on your feet? That's that's what. <laughs> uh, yep. Like, what to be, was hey, that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? <laughs>
4: <laughs> you, have to, you have to sort of do that improv thing where you think very quickly. Um, I used to have a I used to have one effect that I actually got rid of, um, just because not not because it didn't function properly, just because of I didn't I didn't realize. I I was looking at it one way, and I didn't realize until an older magician explained to me the effect it was having on the audience, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to do it anymore. And it was an effect where I had a, like, wooden board that had slots in it, and I took a butcher knife and had somebody come up and put the butcher knife in one of the slots while I was blindfolded, and then we put paper bags on the board to simulate, and I had little strips of cardboard, so they would be propped up so it would look like a knife, mm-hmm. and uh, there were five bags there, and I would sort of come, or turn back around, blindfolded, and sense where the knife was, and uh, slam my hand down on the bags, hopefully oh. missing the butcher knife. Oh. So, and I did it one time, and it was sort of like I came very close to, you know, which to me was... You know, I guess it was the Houdini part of me that went, yay, it's, and he goes, Ah. you don't realize, he goes, you don't realize the effect that they, that just had on a lot of people in the audience. He goes, it wasn't, he goes, they actually like you, he goes, if you were a dirtbag, they probably (laughs) would hope that you didn't find a, you know, like, that you, you found a knife in the wrong way. Uh. Uh, He goes, but people are sort of nauseous because they're watching you possibly, impale your hand on a knife right mm-hmm. and i'm like hmm, i didn't look at it that way i was like i was looking at it as you know using the power of your mind you're divining where the knife is and i'm like i didn't quite go the extra step to sort of go oh well people don't want to see people they like cut part of their hand off.
5: Right, <laughs> right.
4: I'm like, yeah, okay, I will, take, I will take your advice on this, and yeah. if you believe that that's... And he goes, it's the same way. I've seen magicians that, that did things over in Europe and stuff. They used to do, like, Russian roulette routines as mentalists. And he goes, Peep, some people in England, because they're not used to handguns, he's like, mm-hmm. they would actually get up and leave the theater.
5: Oh. Just because
4: it wasn't something that they wanted to see.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And I'm like, hmm, they didn't. I'm like, okay, now we're getting into the psychological slant of, like, you know, what is right. the perception of what you're doing? I'm like, so I'll take your word for it. And mm-hmm. So I traded it to one of my friends that does sideshow stunts, and he didn't really care that people felt uncomfortable. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do You know, the, yeah. the, the, num- the number one trick, uh, the fatal trick, well, it was probably the bullet catch. The bullet catch, absolutely. Really? Yeah. yeah.
4: yeah. So too many, that's... too many problems with it. Too many, yeah. too many variables that can be. You know. You know, there's a book. I think it was twelve. Twelve had have died. There was a whole sort of went person by person through yeah. everybody that attempted to do it, and it's not one of those things you really want to. And then you have some idiots that, uh, that they. You know, and here we're going to get like some of my magician friends getting ticked off because i just called them idiots but uh, (laughs) what they're doing is they took a different a variation of like the one that i had had a butcher knife so they're Mm -hmm. trying to do a small more portable version of it and they use like a big giant railroad spike oh and i've seen it go wrong on youtube and several other places oh where bad we're not even like You know, and and it sort of gets into like criminal negligence because not only are these guys doing it with their hand, there are a couple of them on there that actually took the spectator's hand and went to like and then pushed it down. And there was and I'm like, what what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's just eh. you want to just. Give him a good swift boot someplace. Yeah,
3: that's <laughs> crazy. I mean, how much insurance do you have, right? <laughs>
4: I think it's like, why are you looking to... You know, to me, when I bring somebody up on stage, it's a, am not going to embarrass them. I might tease them, but it's teasing in the same way as if you walked into the Adams Family house. It's like good-natured, like, spooky fun, you know, where I, I may taunt you about we're going to torture you, but I won't actually... Do it. You know... <laughs> expose you to it i I may verbally do it for a second just Mm -hmm. to get the look in your eye and then we'll move on Mm -hmm. you know but i'm not gonna take somebody's hand and put it over a spike and
2: and
4: that's some kind of i don't know self-serving
2: the other thing i like about what you did Vlad, is and what you do not what you did you still do it is that um you know you have a story to tell with with your performance it's a lot of, like you said a lot of magicians they have you know look i will do this thing even escape even the street this, they don't have the the storyline that you do which is interesting mm-hmm. and you and some of your other fellow uh magicians as well uh in that mm-hmm. same genre
4: and that's and that's the, that's the basis of the entire convention we do in january is 99% of all the people that come there have that thought process where they want to do the story they want to one of the guys that actually comes from england sort of got himself in trouble because he has a he has sort of a cottage industry he's an artist he's he's more of an artist slash creator than he is a magician Mm -hmm. but he actually got in trouble because before he started doing this full-time doing the creating things he was a forensic scientist Oh, and he, oh wow. and he got in trouble because he created a a sort of a mini fossilized version of a Coddington fairy.
2: Oh, wow!
4: Mm, and somebody cool. and somebody found it and took pictures of it, and all of a sudden submitted it to all these paranormal magazines over in in England. Oh, of course, they did. <laughs> and, and, and they were all claiming that it was true. And, of course, he's going for the ride. He goes, well, yeah, I found it out in this, you know, small grotto that was on the side of this river. And, it, you know, they're all like, oh, and, it, and he, he goes, well, I, I sort of had to stop being a forensic scientist because so much got out into the public eye about this sort of mummified fairy Mm-hmm. He, he's like I couldn't answer the phone without someone trying to ask me questions about it. He says, and then it sort of really affected my credibility when I went into court and they went,
5: uh, "Oh, oh yeah. so you're
4: that guy with the fairies, are you?" <laughs> <laughs>
5: that
4: backfire. Yeah, I like yeah. to I like to I like to bring people into the moment. That's what I've had people like when I was in Salem, I had to turn a couple of people away one time just because. I mean, I don't use any vulgar language or anything else, but they sort of came up and they were like, well, uh, you know, it doesn't say it's child-friendly. And I said, well, I sort of would have to say, no, it's not.
5: Right. You know, and then they
4: go, well, uh, why not?
5: <laughs> Cause
4: I said, well, I use that's... a lot of storytelling with historical aspects or literature basis. Mm-hmm. I thought i talk about Countess Elizabeth Bathory, and if I refer back to Edgar Allan Poe, I sort of would like my audience to have been accustomed to Egg, Rel, and Poe. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and then one of them said, they both looked at each other and they said, well, well, neither one, and this is the adults, they're like, neither one of us has read Egg, Rel, and Poe. And I'm oh, like, well, go. then none of you is going to enjoy my show.
5: Right. <laughs> Move along. You know, and Move I'd along. rather,
4: That's yeah, same, I'd yeah. rather, no. and I'd rather <laughs> lose the, I'd rather lose the three tickets than have them sit in the thing and go, we don't get what's going on.
5: hmm mm-hmm.
4: Right. But I mean, I, I have to think back to my own schooling. I mean, I, I—that was the biggest kick during the entire school year was mm-hmm. when they would have this Scholastic Book Fair, <laughs> and you could pick out your own little book that you could have for yourself and and buy it. And I would buy a Grant and Poe and mm-hmm. Frankenstein and all the other good things like that. And yeah. I remember that being part of English was you had to memorize the Raven, and I'm like, right.
3: how could you have
4: not? Come across Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> yeah.
3: I don't think I could memorize it, but, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe was definitely part it, of your we? English class. I think I did a term paper on Ed, Edgar Allan Poe. did we read it on the show? We did.
2: Yeah, hmm. for the yes. better or worse, and it was more worse. <laughs> I
3: read it. I read <laughs> it. It was better than if you read it. We both read it. I guess we did. We went back and forth, didn't we? That's right. Your pots were good. Mine kind of like a little yeah, else. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Well, you could go online. I think they have. They still have the version of. Uh, they did a sort of a tribute CD that had a bunch of different people on it. it was uh, Vincent Price, and I think that there's actually a segment on there where Christopher Walken recites the Raven.
3: Oh, that's <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, it,
2: we, we actually have a, a, a cool thing that uh, we're going to be doing. and, and Steve Parson g- got his hands on this old uh, radio ghost story script, and it's a whole mm-hmm. pile of ghost stories that were written for radio. And it has all, like, the sound effects and everything listed on it and everything. It's really, really cool. So looks like we're going to be putting that together and putting it on the international show. We'll have these little snippets of uh, ghost stories. But that's,
4: Very that's cool. kind of what you did, uh, yeah. what you do. Yeah. I mean, I was always fascinated. A lot of people never got to experience it. You know, I didn't get to experience it except later on when I went looking for them. But those radio shows like Lights Out and... You know, all these different, like, The Whistler and all these different radio shows that had these, you know, different ghost stories. And, you know, you have to use your imagination because you're sitting there just listening to the sounds. And, I mean, look at the, look at the response I got from War of the Worlds. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So it's a powerful medium, and it's just you have to use. And that's why I try and bring a little bit of all of that into my performances. I try and have sight, sound. Smell, I'll actually imbue some of the things if they don't have their own smell, like I'll put, I'll I'll rub on the inside of a box, I'll I'll rub gardenia or something like that. So when you open the box, Mm. now three or four people in the back, they'll go, where did that smell of flowers come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and it triggers all these different memories. I want them to be able to touch things and smell them and experience it because it sends you off on all these sensory journeys instead of just, there, this is your card. <laughs> okay?
3: <laughs> That's yeah. cool. That's cool. And I think that smell is a big trigger for a lot of people. I know for me, that always seems to be. I, I just have a really keen sense of smell and that's mm-hmm. that's you And that's know. the
4: first thing you notice. Like any of us that are fascinated, I'm one of those ones that would rather instead of, you know, sitting watching a sports event, I would rather go to a antique bookstore someplace. And like mm-hmm. when you open the door there's just that like oh, old yeah. mel, that like smell like of like old books, you know. And it's like
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, you like, walk Yay, antique books. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And antique stores are like that too. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they have that smell.
2: Yeah, and uh, nursing homes. Uh,
3: well, thanks, All Ron. The true antiques. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> thanks.
4: the <you>. true antiques.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
2: I, I have to laugh because it, it, when we do the same answers, sometimes I, I was like I, I smell old people.
4: <laughs> ah.
2: <laughs> That's terrible. That's the way they show themselves. They smell. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay. But,
2: but anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, I still – you know, Vlad, when you did the Dining with the Dead with me and, and you did the Lizzie Boyden thing, which was awesome, uh, mm-hmm. I still have that letter from uh, – that you used in, in the uh, the performance. Do
4: you have the people, like, trying to smell the paper to see if it actually, like – they're like, smell oh, it does. I don't know tonight. if it smells. <laughs> <laughs> They don't want to smell like Lizzie Borden's blood, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Blood.
2: No, so thank you. Doing. No. So I know we're running out of time. And uh, do you have anything coming up, or uh, that you want to mention?
4: Um, we have a Martin Luther King Day weekend in January. If you know anybody is a actual performing magician that would love to come down to uh, Myrtle Beach, we have the East Coast Spirit Sessions. They can find that. Online, just look up the East Coast Spirit Sessions, or look for it on Facebook, and that's you know you'll have about a hundred different magicians there that are be exploring strange and unusual magic with wow. vendors and shows and everything. So you know it ends up being like a three-day event. So it's a good time. You should you yeah, should I, make I your way to I'll, North Carolina, Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: We'll have to come in up and throw you in a box and send you down.
2: And, you know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Teleport me. <Yeah>. Awesome.
3: <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll pay the extra posted.
2: Him.
3: Yep. <laughs> we'll send them down there.
5: Well, yeah, I put that we'll link
3: up on our Facebook page at Ghost Excellent. Chronicles Next Generation. So I guess uh, uh, we didn't get awesome. the
2: bell, but the tunes are on, which means we have to go.
3: Yeah, I wanted where the. No pizza from the dead, and I'm hungry.
2: You said it rang, but I didn't hear it. <laughs> right, I didn't anyway. either. All right. Vlad, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It's always great and I, you know I just wish you hadn't moved I, you know I loved working with you up here and it was a lot of fun
4: yeah i've I, I've always had a great, great time you know spending time with you too and sometime we'll get to see you down here by the by the actual ocean
2: Ah that'll be awesome.
4: Yeah, Thank ben you so Hel- much. Van
2: Helsing in the water—that'll be interesting.
4: Ah. We'll get you. We'll get you one of those like little Gomez Adams bathing suits with the stripes on it. You can one ah,
2: piece. there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, there's the twos, and we'll have to say goodbye. So goodbye.
0: <laughs> be well. Good night. Take God care. bless
2: everyone. Good
3: Take night. Care. Good night, Vlad. Good night. Good night. Take Thanks care. For
0: listening. Cool. Long leggedy beasties and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.